Joel, that was actually a lead-in to the sermon. You didn't even know it. Talking about how fast time seems to go. So we have the opportunity this morning to um, talk about something that you guys are all experts on, the use and abuse of time. Do you use it or do you abuse it? You hear all kinds of words about uh, the passage that we're going to look at today. As a matter of fact, um, I think the passage that we're going to look at today is probably the most universally recognized act of plagiarism ever. There happens to be a song from, oh, I don't know, the 60s that almost takes the first eight verses and and doesn't reference the scriptures, but made some small rock band millions of dollars. The Beatles. The uh, the birds made more popular by the Beatles. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting. Someone's asked me, why in the world of the 66 books in the Bible that you could preach on, would you even think about preaching on the book of Ecclesiastes? Now, how many of you have been through a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes? What's the answer to that? Someone finds out you're going to spend 11 weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, they're just going to kind of look at you and shake their head and go, why? Well, the Bible says, and it claims for itself that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Not just the parts that are easy, but even the parts that are a little more hard, the parts that are a little more unpopular. And as we've journeyed through the book of Ecclesiastes, we've already been, we've already been warned about the um, futility. We said that's not a good word. The transitoriness of life. Have you discovered that you're too busy to really pay attention to what's most important? It happens. Have you ever realized that your priorities are maybe not 100% in line with what God's priorities are? If you ask Him what He wanted you to do, and you ask you what you want to do, who's going to win? You're going to do what you want to do. And today, we find out in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, that time itself is transitory. It's wispy. The minute you seem to grab it, it's gone. And I love it. Peter Drucker, a a leadership consultant, executive leadership consultant from a a previous era, said that time is that one thing that if not managed, nothing else can be. Think about that. If you don't manage your time well, you will not manage anything well. Why? Because everything you do requires time. Time. What do you do that doesn't require time? So how we spend our time is very important. Now, time management, while perhaps a nouveau concept, you know, in the 60s as we think about how to become more productive, is not really a new problem, is it? We have the same 24 hours that Adam and Eve had. We have the same 24 hours that Solomon had. We have the same 24 hours that David had. It is not a new thing. Unlike most other things in which you can um, increase intensity or effort, you know, they have things, if you, uh, if you contribute to a retirement program, they have things that they'll send out to say, here's your retirement calculator. Not, not how, many, how many days till you retire, but it's, it's showing your investments. How, how are they doing? Are you going to be at a good spot when you actually hit retirement age? Or do you need to put a little more 
intensity into your savings plan so that you know that you can retire comfortably. There are a lot of things where you can ratchet up the intensity or, or up, up the effort, put an extra $100 a month into that retirement account, but time is the one substance for which there is no substitute. You can put more money into the account. How do you put more time into your day? Don't. Because once you have spent it, it is gone. Everything we do takes time, yet we repeatedly take for granted this very unique and irreplaceable commodity that God has given us. How do you spend your time? You want to be humbled? Think about this. All of human history, the greatest achievements of mankind from the pyramids in Egypt to the space shuttle, the space station, um, technology, every component of human history will be but a twinkling of the eye in the context of eternity. Merely a blip that appears on the radar, radar screen of eternity when everything is said and done. And yet constantly on our lips, we ask, where did the time go? There's not enough hours in the day. Oh, I can't do that. I've got to make the most of my time. If you're young, you ask, when will my time come? Like sand in the hourglass dripping down, time seems to go so slow when you're young. And then I don't know what happens. I know for me, I know for me, time seemed to speed up once I became a father. Because they don't stay little long. And I don't notice it so much when I look in the mirror, though occasionally there's a new wrinkle or a new gray hair, or maybe just less hair or hair in other places that it's not supposed to be. That happens when we look in the mirror. But I notice it every day when I look at my kids and go, oh my goodness, I can't can't swaddle them anymore. I don't even fit, you know? It's just so fast as we mature. And I don't know where that breaking point is where we start to appreciate time more. I never thought about time when I was a teenager. I think about time all the time now. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and let's see exactly what we can learn What is there that is profitable in this scripture that God has inspired for us to learn? Our very first point, we look at the poem in verses 1 through 8, and we find that we are faced with the taxing task. It's not easy. We are faced with the taxing task of trying to understand what time is teaching. Time is not just a thing. Time is teaching us to order our days appropriately. Look at verses 1 through 8. There is an occasion for everything, and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And a time to dance, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search, and a time to count as lost, 
a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In this poem, the teacher, Solomon, is simply stating the facts. He's not evaluating how you use your time. He's just saying, as the days roll on and turn into weeks and months and years, there are things that you will be involved with. He's not evaluating. He's simply describing the full scale of life's activities. Every birth, guess what? Will end in death. What's the determiner? Whether it's time. There's time to be born. There's a time to die. He points to the frailty of life, this endless generation cycle. You know, you have heard the stories of someone who attends the funeral of a grandfather on one day to welcome that grandchild that will never meet his grandfather the very next. The generations come and the generations go. And he says there's a time for everything. There's a time to plant. And there's a time in which you decide that your landscaping just isn't what you want it to be anymore. And what do you do? All that money that you invested in that landscaping years ago gets pulled out so that you can guess what? Uproot it to replant it. There's a time. There's a time. It says even to kill and to heal. Now, for those of you that struggle with um, anger, um, settle down there, 007. This is not the Bible giving you a license to kill. And if you have your list made out, please see me after the service so that we can enter into some special counseling here. He's saying that there are times where um, either in self-defense or in national defense that it is not murder, it is killing in the form of defense. And yet there's a time to heal. You can think about this in agricultural terms. If you are fattening that cow up and something happens to him and it's not time for him to be slaughtered, what are you going to do to that cow? You're going to heal him. Only to turn around and slaughter him to feed your family at some day. He talks about things in the agricultural cycle. He talks about a time to throw stones and a time to pick stones up. Uh, this is not talking about children on the playground. It's talking about what you do to your enemies in a time of war to disrupt their agricultural cycle. You throw rocks on the ground so that it destroys their crops. And yet if you want to, if you inherit that territory and you want it to be fruitful, the very thing you must do if you want to plant is remove the stones. Perhaps the stones that you threw to undo your enemy whose property you now own. He talks about times of grief. He says there's a time to tear and there's a time to sow. You know as well as I do that in the Bible, when someone was grieving, they would tear their clothes and wear sackcloth and ashes, but eventually that time of mourning would pass, and now it's time to not just go into a, a closet like you do with enough clothes to not have to wear the same outfit twice in a month. In Bible times, you had to sew the piece of clothing that you had torn maybe just a few days or weeks ago. Here's the point. Time is teaching that nothing changes. No, nothing changes. It is a zero-sum game. It all balances out. For every birth, what is there? A death. For everything planted, there is what? An uprooting. For everything that is built, that building will one day be condemned. We've had uh, fun. We're uh, doing a Bible study through Right Now Media with our family, talking about the power of the tongue. 
And one of the Greek words that is used for tongue is the word dunamos, from where we get the word dynamite. And the uh, teacher of the Bible study said that you have the power of dynamite in your tongue. You can either use it for good or use it for bad, to which Colin said, how do you ever use dynamite for good? It's a good question for an eight-year-old. You know, you, when you think of dynamite, you just think about blowing stuff up. How do you blow stuff up good? Well, 4th of July would be a great example. He got that one. But then I went to the internet, and I, I, I showed him how you have, it's a whole branch of employment of people who load buildings up with TNT so in the middle of a metropolitan area, that building will fall without disturbing any other buildings so that they can do what? Build a new one. A time to uproot. Time to build. You'll notice as you go through this poem that every single one of the activities is canceled out by its opposite. There are 14 positive things followed by 14 negative things. 31 times in verses 1 through 8, you hear, there is a time for, a time for, a time for, and can you hear the every minute of the day, time is slipping away. Now, this point here is not a negative one. The Bible is teaching us here, not only that nothing changes, it's a zero-sum game, but that Time is precious. It's, it's not for no reason that we say, where did the time go? It's a statement of longing. Perhaps for a relationship that through distance um, has cooled. And you really wish for that relationship to be renewed, but geography separates you. Time is precious. But you must understand that regardless of how precious time is, unstoppably and independently of your wishes, time will march on. And what will happen will happen, and there is nothing you can do about it. Time doesn't care. Time will march on. Time will never take a time out because you need more time. Time will never add more hours to your day. Time marches on. And in this whole context of the mes- message of Ecclesiastes, we go, oh, okay, so we, we have seen that, that Solomon in chapter 2 tried his hand at all kinds of ways to find fulfillment in, in life and found that everything he did was misguided. His efforts were futile. And now Ecclesiastes 3 says our time is futile. So the question is, where in the world can we find some stability? Where do we find it? Look at verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> he asks a rhetorical question. As he finishes the poem, he moves into a rhetorical question, uh, into some reflections, and then into a couple conclusions that we'll see as we work our way through the remainder of this passage. The question is this. What does the worker gain from his time, his struggles? What does he gain? I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything beautiful or appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But man cannot discover the work has done from beginning to end. Verse 9, he really addresses our problem. What do we gain? Time's futile. You know, it's amazing. 
you can talk to people. I, I have a friend who's an investment banker. And his um, job is not just his job, it's his hobby. He helps others invest, and he himself invests. And he was on track, uh, same age as me, to be incredibly well off until something in time happened called 2008. And in just a period of minutes, that nest egg that he was so proud of, what happened to it? It disappeared. And here we are almost 10 years later, and he is not even yet back to where he was in 2007. You can pursue the right thing, and time can wipe it out. What's our problem? Time is wispy. We think that we are managing it, and we're not. And as he asks this question, time just goes so fast. He wants to explore the how question. Why did time get this way? How, why, why are things this way? And the why question, why is it this way? How did it get this way? Why did it get this way? And in verses 10 and 11, he reflects and states that God's grand plan is beautiful in its wisdom. God's plan is beautiful in its wisdom, but it is mysterious in its nature. Anybody doubt God's plan in your life? Can you look back and see God's good hand, even in situations that you didn't understand? I can did not understand them at all when I was going through them, but I can look back and see God's good hand. It is beautiful. I would not have chosen everything. But that's why time is mysterious in God's plan too. It is beautiful. We trust God. We know that he is good. We know that he is working for our good. But that doesn't mean that we understand it all. It is beautiful. It is mysterious. So how did life get this way? There's a very simple answer. He, he asks the question, verse 9, what, is, what does a worker gain from his toil, from his struggles? It's interesting that that word toil is used because it's the exact same word that God uses in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve worked before sin, it just was easy. And he says because of the fall, because of man's sin, because of our rebellion, that he will do his toil now with the sweat of his brow. And where the land would have been super productive before, he's going to work really hard and all it's going to produce are thorns and thistles. There is a curse. That is how things got this way. There was a curse placed upon our toil, but yet the Bible says that he has made every single thing a part of his plan. Every single thing a part of his plan. That means not just the things that you like to reminisce about, but you know those things that you've never told anyone those periods of your life about which you are embarrassed and you would completely erase from your memory. God's used those things too, hasn't he? He's used it all. Every single thing is a part of his plan. And the problem is we're smart, but we're not that smart. We can understand, but we don't understand all of it. We can see, but we never quite ever see the big picture from God's perspective. We can long for more, but we ultimately miss fulfillment. I love the way that it says it in verse 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful. He's made everything appropriate in its time. Okay, do you, do you understand what that is saying? God has made everything beautiful. Do you have a candidate that you would like to um, put forward 
as something that was not beautiful that's happened in your life. I'm sure that you do. There's something that's happened that you go, um, the Bible says everything is beautiful. Uh, this that happened to me 20 years ago, definitely not beautiful. But yet the Bible says that even the notes that we think are sour in the song of life, the things that are not happy, still God makes beautiful. He redeems them. And I know what you're thinking. Scott, you're off your rocker. You are absolutely mad because not everything is beautiful. Well, we can go with our limited, earthbound, creaturely perspective, or we can go with God's that says he has made everything beautiful in his time. It is an issue of perspective. Ours or God's. Miss Sharon, I'm going to ask you to come to the piano here for a second. I want us to do something. I think, I think the challenge when it comes to time is we all think we're our own maestro, right? Um, I'm a self-made man, pull myself up on my own bootstraps. I'm going to make my own music, and I'm going to dance to it. And the challenge is, if you could choose to, to, to write the music for your life, you know, some of you like that happy song, you know, it may, it'd, be, it'd be great. It would be an upbeat rhythm, you know, maybe a little bluesy, you know, um, but it, it's going to be a, a happy song, isn't it? I want you to listen to something. I want, uh, Ms. Sharon, if we can play it maybe in a major key. Uh, a song that you think we'd recognize. Anybody know that song? What is it? Amazing Grace. You know verses 1, 2, and 3 really well. You know what verse 4 is? Let's go ahead and kick it down to verse 4. Let's put it in a minor key. Thank you, Ms. Sharon. Verse 4, how's it start? Through many dangers, toils and snares. Did you hear a difference in how the song sounded? A little more somber in verse 4, isn't it? It's the difference between a major key and a minor key. And yet, if you had the opportunity to edit your song, wouldn't you get rid of all the minor keys? The challenge is, when God is in the process of building the symphony of our life, it is not just the white keys, it's the black keys. It's not just the major um, notes, it's the minor notes. And all of this goes into God's plan for making our life song a symphony that demonstrates his sovereignty. God is just as sovereign over the happy things that happen in your life as he is in the things that you don't like. We sing about it, we just don't celebrate it. And sometimes... Sometimes God gives gifts that are really unusual. I was reading this week, uh, some of you are familiar with the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a, a Jewish girl um, who got locked up as a prisoner of war um, during uh, the German occupation. And um, I can't remember what her older sister's name is, Betsy. 
Betsy was Corey Tenboom's older sister. And as they are prisoners of war as teenage girls, being persecuted because of who they are. Betsy tells her when they do their nightly prayers that they need to thank God for everything. 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 The stale bread and the oddly colored water that's not clean. For the foul odors in the lumpy bed. One of the greatest afflictions for Corey as a young girl uh, were the bed bugs that would eat her constantly at night. And yet Betsy said, after Corey finished her prayers, that she didn't thank God for the bed bugs, so she wasn't done praying yet. Betsy and Corey started a Bible study, which in the prison camp um, was illegal. And if, if they were discovered, it would have incensed the guards and the guards would have beat them senseless. Yet, the guards never came into the room where Corey and Betsy were. Why? They were afraid of the bedbugs. And through this thing that no one wants, God had put a hedge of protection called bedbugs around Corey Ten Boom and her sister, Betsy. Oh, my friends, when it comes to our perspective on time, you will always choose what is comfortable for you, but you will not always choose what is right. <laughs> if asking for God's blessings means asking for bed bugs, there's nobody who's going to pray that prayer tonight. God knows better than we. And when the minor keys of life come, we don't celebrate them because they're happy things. We celebrate God because we know that He is faithful. I love the way verse 11 says this. He has put eternity in our hearts. We know that there is something more. We know that there's something more than just the frivolity of life. We know that time is precious, but we also cannot stand back far enough to see what God is doing from the beginning to the end. What do we see about this much? And it says, God's put eternity in your heart, but man is not smart enough to see everything that, is God, that God is doing from the beginning to the end. We're limited in our perspective, so what do we do? He gives two conclusions, one in verses 12 and 13, one in verses 14 and 15. And they deal with, how do we deal with the mystery of time just passing so quickly? And they get to the why. Why, 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 why? What are we supposed to do as a result of all of this? And first we see that we are to enjoy life as a gift from God. Verse 12 and 13 says this, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God. Whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. It doesn't say believers eat or drink. He says it's one of God's good gifts. When anyone, wherever, whenever, eats, drinks, and enjoys his efforts. God put a desire for knowledge within our hearts and minds. We want to know, why is this happening? But he's also ordained limits to our knowledge. You'll never know. And the, by the way, we have this pious platitude that kind of says we're going to understand everything when we get to heaven. Why? You become omniscient? Um, that's Mormon theology. You become a god? No, you don't become omniscient. God alone is omniscient. And we'll learn to trust him 
even more in eternity. We're not promised to have all knowledge about why everything worked out the way that it did. We are finite creatures, and that's what time is teaching us. We don't have all the answers. And if he was here, I think Solomon would tell us, don't let what you don't know destroy what you can enjoy. Don't let what you do not know destroy what you can enjoy. God has given simple pleasures, eating and drinking and enjoying the toil of your labors. And if you go, well, I don't know why this is happening. I'm going to cross my arms and sit here till God explains it to me. Well, get ready for a long wait. Get ready for a long wait. You're allowing what you don't know to destroy what God has given you to enjoy. So enjoy today. There will never, ever, ever be a time in your life when you understand it all. You'll never understand. You'll think you will. You're just not mad about not understanding it all when things are good. When things are good, you don't care to understand it all. When things are bad, you think you deserve an explanation. He doesn't give you an explanation for why things are good. He's not going to give you an explanation for why things are bad. Your knowledge is just as limited in the good times as it is in the bad times. You just happen to trust him more when he does what you want him to do. So enjoy life. That means if you're married, if you have a spouse, go on a date. Go on a date. Enjoy the spouse that God has given you. And uh, you know what? You need to treat. Get an extra scoop of ice cream. Now, all God's people said amen to that one. Go, go get an extra scoop. Go to a restaurant and order the lobster. Splurge, do something. Play a, play a game with your grandkids. Go for a walk. Spread the love. Do something. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Second conclusion, that the teacher wants us to learn to rest, to rest in the sovereignty of God, verses 14 and 15. I know that all God does will last forever. We don't know that about us, but we know that about God. There is no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of Him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be already is. God repeats what has passed. We can rest in Him because what He does remains forever. If anything we do has a short shelf life, if our efforts and our time is vain, we should learn to cast ourselves upon Him. Because if God rules over time, that should help us to be aware of our complete helplessness and our absolute need of dependence upon Him. We don't even know the times, but we know the one who controls them. The goal, the why, is that God wants everyone to enjoy Him. And did you see what verse 14 said? To be in awe of Him. And friends, the only truth that we have to recognize this morning is we can only rest in Him as we have been reconciled to Him. So for us, time is futile. Time slips away. But I want you to know how God handles time. The Bible says this, Galatians 4.4, 4, when the time was fulfilled... He sent His Son to be born of a virgin, His beloved Son, into the world for the purpose of removing the curse that God Himself had placed upon it. Jesus starts His ministry, and you know what one of the very first words of His first sermon are? The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. 
We are reminded that we can only rest in him once we are reconciled with him. And while time seems futile, God has done something to fulfill the time. While Jesus was opposed all throughout his ministry, no one threatened him because Jesus said, my time has not yet come. He didn't do ministry for a long time. For three years, he did ministry. And as he prepares his disciples for the Last Supper, you know what he says? The time is at hand. The time is at hand. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, At the right time, Christ gave his life for the ungodly. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It was the sovereign plan of God. And we rejoice in the fact that God died for ungodly people like you and me. At just the right time. And he says that he will come back to redeem those who have placed their trust in him. But you know what it is for us? It's not for us to know the times. We're not going to know them. In the meantime, while we're waiting for that time to be fulfilled, we are to make the most of our time. Why? Because the days are evil. And if we lament how we waste time because of these things, we can live life without worry. We don't have to worry if we've wasted time. The Bible says he's going to take care of us better than uh, the, the, the fields of the flower are dressed with more finery than Solomon himself. The birds of the air never run out of food because their father takes care of them. The God who has orchestrated all of these things for us and for our salvation will most certainly sustain us through the minor keys of life. We don't look for them. We don't want them. But we endure them because we know that the purpose of time is for us to be conformed to Christ. Maybe you have a few more hard knocks because there's a few more rough edges that he needs to knock off. He is making us to conform to Christ and so we can rejoice in suffering knowing that God will use not just this time and not just that time. He will use all of the times to work together for good for those who love God. Pray with me, please. Father, our perspective is so terribly limited. And we run around life thinking that we're in charge and that you have to run your plans by us. And we are so sorely mistaken about that. We can lament how we don't make the best use of time. Yet, Father, we were able to conclude this morning by seeing that time is your creation and it is sovereignly in your hand. And at the right time, you sent your Son to redeem us that we might live wisely while we wait for you to come. Father, I pray that if we are struggling with the crush of life, that you help us in our hearts this morning to bow before you and to say we don't like our circumstances, but we love our God and we trust you and pray that you will use these circumstances in our life for your sovereign goodwill. Father, we pray that you help us to rest in the good Father that you are and that you help us to appreciate the opportunity that we have to be reconciled, to believe the gospel, to turn from our sins and to place our trust in you. And I pray this morning that if there is anyone who does not know the peace that comes from knowing you as Lord and Savior, that today we might be able to have a conversation to point out the pathway of life that you have set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.